This is the Learning to Lead podcast, episode number 87. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 87 of the Learning to Lead podcast. We're excited to be with you again this month. If you're new to the podcast, my name is Doug Smith, and today I'm actually joined with my wife, Laura, as well. Hey, everyone. And we're the founders of L3 Leadership, and this podcast is intended to help you grow your leadership skills, and every month we're committed to bringing you three different episodes. One episode will always be from our breakfast series in which we bring in leaders to speak and share their best leadership content. Uh, Once a month, we'll do an interview with a high-level leader, and then once a month, you'll get a leadership lesson by me as well. That's awesome. And also, we host mastermind groups all around our city, and a mastermind group is just a small group um, where we share top 10 goals and hold each other accountable and build awesome relationships. Uh, So if you're interested, just check out our website at l3leadership.org for more information. Yeah, and so this specific episode... Comes to you from our breakfast series. This past Saturday, we had Scott Stevens, who's the lead pastor of Northway Christian Community, speak. And Scott is one of the, he's the lead pastor of Northway, which is one of the largest churches in Pittsburgh. And an interesting thing about Scott is he's also the leader following the founder, uh, which puts him in a unique leadership position. And he talks about that uh, in the talk. But I thought he did an incredible job. It was one of my favorite breakfasts. And personally, I believe what he taught in this lesson and some of his question and uh, some of his answers in the question and answer session uh, are just of extreme importance to leaders to learn. I'm curious, Laura, what did you take away uh, and why do you think it's important to listen to this talk from Scott? Yeah, I thought he talked about a lot of things that aren't always popular, like submission to authority and your attitude of your heart and humility. So kind of tough topics that you really need to hear as leaders, but we don't always hear or like to hear. So those, those things were really resonant with me. Yeah, at one point he was talking about submission and he said, you know, uh, this isn't a sexy leadership talk. Submission isn't sexy. And so I tried to get everyone to, to throw that out there on Twitter. Um, but I really think if you'll get a hold as a leader of the lessons that Scott teaches in this, uh, it'll help you uh, with your leadership immensely. and It'll really help you get to your finish line, which should be the goal of every leader. Before we jump into Scott's talk, we just want to thank our sponsors. The first sponsor I want to thank is Bab Inc., and they are an insurance broker and a third-party administrator and consulting firm here in Pittsburgh, and they're the hosts of all of our breakfast. They have the coolest building in Pittsburgh, if you ask me. Um, they host all of our breakfast, so I'd encourage you to come out just to see their building. Um, it's just awesome. And so they do incredible work. You can check them out at babbins.com and learn the, about the work that they do. Our second sponsor is 068, led by my friend Daniel Bull, who's also spoken at our past breakfasts, and uh, he leads an organization that starts companies with ex-convicts, and then they also have another organization uh, under them called Work Pittsburgh that employs ex-convicts, and he's doing incredible work as well, and you can check them out at 068, all spelled out, dot org. Again, that's 068. Dot, uh, dot org and you can check them out and then lastly we want to thank bistro to go they're an awesome corporate catering company on the north side and they provide the food for our breakfast and everyone loves the food so if you are in the pittsburgh area and are looking for a caterer bistro and company.com has all of your answers so check them out so let's jump right into scott's talk and we'll be at, back at the end with a few announcements and a quote to wrap things up Woohoo! enjoy so years ago, I um, spent a lot of time trying to um, think about my call. What, what is my call? Um, and I settled on three things, and I've stuck with them for um, over 25 sort of years of ministry. And one was emerging leaders. My heart is for young leaders. It always has been. I've got probably about 15, 20 years of, of family and student ministry, um, college sort of ministry background. 
emerging leaders. Um, second is the local church. I love the local church. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. Um, there's lots of great places for people to work in corporate business um, world, but for me, the local church is where I really feel like I belong. And the third is Pittsburgh. Um, been offered some pretty amazing things outside of this town, been approached by some folks, um, and I've always just said, not a chance. Um, unless God would make some kind of crazy statement, it would almost have to be audible. Um, Pittsburgh is where I, where I really feel like I belong. Married, uh, two daughters, one of them just got married this past summer, so that's an amazing uh, change of, of life um, to have a married daughter. My other is 21 and still with us and uh, local. Been married to my um, wife for nearly 30 years and uh, we met uh, because, so we met because I, um, I thought she was awesome um, and she was 14 and uh, I was uh, 17. She wasn't allowed to date but I heard that she was hanging out at this youth group and I'm thinking like, what in the world? Youth group, go sing songs and read the Bible. That's the most ridiculous thing in the world um, to a kid that didn't grow up around that at all. But, um, you know, she was there. So I went and uh, met the Lord and married the girl. Um, so seriously, honored to be here. Uh, Doug mentioned, I really don't do things like this. I'm, I don't consider myself like a guest speaker type of guy. I don't come up here and got like three or four really good funny stories, you know, to, to get the thing rolling and everybody laughing. Um, you know, I, it's just not sort of who I am. I'm not a radio guy or a TV guy. Um, I just, I don't, I turn all those things down. I mean, you're not going to see my picture on a billboard. I really feel like I'm the more behind-the-scenes guy, and I love Next Generational Leadership, and I love Doug. Um, this is a, a real, a real um, dynamic, uh, incredible leader for Pittsburgh. So when he asked, I, I said, okay. Um, I want to tell you a story today. It's a story that's found in the Bible. Um, it's found in First and Second Samuel. Um, here, here's a couple things. Uh, um, one, if, if you want this talk, um, email me and I'll send it to you and you can just use it. Like seriously, you don't have to ask for permission. You don't have to give me credit for it. Just go ahead and use it. If you want um, the scripture references, I can send you every single one of, of where I'll sort of be going. But I, I thought I'd really tell this today as a story rather than like sort of open up my Bible and say, okay, First Samuel, verse, you know, this. I, I, just, wanna, I, wanna, I just wanna tell you a story. Um, it's an amazing um, story. That's found in the scriptures, and out of that, I just want to pull a couple things out. At the end of it, hopefully, it'll make some sense. I'll land on two or three things that, for, for leadership-wise, that I think this story teaches us, um, and then we'll, then we'll do some questions and answers. So, um, I got this story. There's a book called a, a Tale of Three Kings. It's a little tiny book by Gene Edwards. Um, I recommend that I read it probably 15 years ago, and I've always loved it. So it's a story about three kings. Um, some of this story, again, will be direct quotes from Scripture. Some will be paraphrased. Some will just be my own thoughts. About 3,000 years ago, the people of Israel, they looked around, and they saw all the other surrounding nations had kings, and they wanted a king. God wanted them to remain a theocracy. God desired his people 
um, just to follow him and his character and his ways, and he would always protect them. But that's not what the people wanted. They wanted a king. Um, all the other countries chose kings based on military prowess, prowess or, or birthright, and that's what the people of Israel wanted. Samuel was the last judge in Israel, and following God's instructions, Samuel gave the people what they wanted. He anointed the first king of Israel, a man named Saul. He was tall, and he was handsome. He was a mighty warrior, and the people got exactly what they wanted. Um, they put their trust in a man, in Saul, and they hoped that all would go well. Um, Saul had some early uh, successes, but if you know the story, it, it went sideways rather quickly. Saul decided to do what was right in his own eyes um, instead of submitting to the authority of God. Saul impatiently one day took on the role of a priest, and uh, this was clearly a violation of law. He was not permitted to do sacerdotal duties um, in his role. He should have waited for the priest to get there. He didn't wait. Um, absolutely, you know, a blunder early in Saul's sort of life as king. On another occasion, after receiving instructions specifically from God upon defeating the Amalekites, um, exactly what he was supposed to do, he didn't. He spared the king, and he took on all the valuables and livestock for his own good. Bottom line, immediately after being given the authority um, of God, Saul would not submit to God's ways. And I just, you know, pause here. Don't we do that sometimes ourselves? You know, we want to maybe follow God's character or his ways, his plan for our life. But like Saul, we become impatient with authority. And, and so you can think about it in God, but I think you can think about it in the work world too, right? And we just sometimes do not want to sit under the authority that's been placed on, over us. And we get very impatient um, you know, this happens as a teenager, right? We want less involvement from our parents. This happens in the workplace. We want, we don't, hey, don't micromanage me. We, we don't want to submit to the authority often um, that is placed over our lives. So back to the th- story of these three kings. Um, around this time, there's a boy. And, and this boy is in Bethlehem. And he's got seven older brothers. Could you imagine that? Seven older brothers and a dad over top of him. He's in the field doing the lowliest of low. He's tending the sheep. He sees one of his brothers running across the field at him, huffing and puffing, telling him there's this prophet back at the house that wants to see him. So this boy runs back to the house, swings open the door. There's this gray-haired, long-bearded man named Samuel. He tells this young shepherd boy to kneel down in front of him. And he kneels down and confused. He closes his eyes. He feels this oil being poured over his head. He knows that that's a symbol to designate royalty. And this prophet Samuel says, Behold, the Lord's anointed. So this young shepherd boy, David, he's got to be thinking to himself, What? And at the same time, King Saul has gone completely off the rails. He has become an out-of-control madman. Blatant refusal to submit to the, any type of authority. He has now become emotionally a self-centered mess. And he is struggling with rage and depression. And he, someone tells him one day about this young boy, David, that, that plays incredible soothing music for the soul. So he has David summoned to his, to his palace. And David plays music for King Saul, and it calms Saul continually. David still has his job as a shepherd boy, but now he's also playing music in the palace for the king. 
Um, Saul recognizes that this is a brave warrior also, and an expert with his slingshot. So Saul makes David not only his personal musician, but his personal armor bearer. A few years later, Saul and his army, they're in battle formation against the Philistines. And on that day, David was working for his family, not for Saul. And instead of tending sheep on that particular day, David um, was bringing lunch to his three brothers. They were in battle formation against the Philistines. And for days, this giant Philistine warrior had been cursing the God of Israel and challenging anyone from the Israelite army to come on out and face him. And no one came forward day after day until David shows up with his brother's lunch. See, on those days of solitude out in the, out in the fields tending sheep, David got really good at, at writing music and singing songs, but he also got extremely good with a slingshot. In fact, he said to himself, man, I took down a bear with a slingshot. Surely surely I can take this man down. And he did. Drop him, he did. The mighty Goliath falls to the ground and crashes. David becomes becomes like a folk hero instantly. Because in front of the whole Israelite army, this thing went down. He also becomes really close friends with Saul's son, who's next in line for the throne, a young man named Nathan. David's reputation grows as this mighty warrior. It says that people like sing songs about David. They said, you know, things like Saul, he's slain thousands, but David, he has slain tens of thousands. Imagine how that might make an already mad king feel, right? David, he's no longer tending sheep. Now he's a division army leader, a warrior. All the while, though, he still plays music and sings songs for for King Saul to calm him down. And King Saul realizes David's popularity is getting out of control, and that threatens him. See, and um, one day when David was playing music for King Saul, Saul picks up a spear and throws it at him. See, there's two things you can do when someone throws a spear at you, right? One, you can get wounded by it. And if you don't tend to that wound, it's going to cause a lot of bitterness and anger inside of you. You might end up waking up someday and finding out that you've gone mad. Secondly, you can duck. You can pick that spear up and you can throw it back. Boy, if you get into a pattern of handling conflicts by returning the spear, um, again, you might wake up someday and find yourself just as mad as the person that threw the spear at you. David understood one thing. Saul was God's anointed. Somewhere in God's plan, although it was incredibly difficult, David chose not to take matters into his own hand. He did not throw the spear back. He submitted, and here's what he did. Um, He left the company of the spear thrower and he kept his mouth shut. And Saul was certainly a madman, but yet in David's mind, he was God's anointed king. He had authority over Israel. He did not return the the, the spear and he ran for his life. For the next ten years, he was hunted by Saul.
On one occasion, there's a story that the, the group of David's men are hiding in this cave, in this place called the Crags of the Wild Goats. I want to visit that place. That just sounds like an incredible place to be. They're hiding in a cave, and Saul and his men approach this cave, unknowing that David, David and his men are in there. Saul goes into the cave, into the back of the cave, to basically go to the bathroom. And he drops his robe, it says. And just pause. Like a robe back in that time, it carried an incredible amount of significance. Saul's robe would have been magnificent. It would have been embroidered with his title, his family lineage. Um, his, his accomplishments would have been knitted and woven into this robe. He drops it. David's men rush to him and says, we've got him. God has served him up on a platter, man. He's back there going to the bathroom. Go and take his head off right now. And David goes up and he sneaks up. And instead of killing Saul, he snips off a corner of that robe. Saul leaves, not even knowing what went on. Him and his men are heading out. David comes out of the cave and holds up that torn piece, that cut off piece of robe. And he says, I could have taken you out, but you are God's anointed. And, and, and therefore, I will spare you. Um, no matter how you treat me, I will continue to submit myself to God. I refuse to throw spears, and I'm not going to harm a defenseless king. What if David would have thrown that spear back? What if he would have taken Saul's head off in that cave? No doubt, I think temporarily it would have been satisfying, even justified, for him to do that. But would David have gone on to become the greatest king that Israel had ever known? A man that was known for a guy that pursued God. They had, they had God's own heart. I think he would have just become another spear-throwing, authority-grabbing king of the time if he would have done those things. Samuel, the, the, the last um, in the line of judges, the connection to Saul, the guy that anointed Saul, dies. That, that's, that Samuel, that Saul's now direct connection to God is gone. And Saul continues to unwillingly submit to God. And eventually, God removes his hand from Saul this incredible battle takes place. Saul's life spirals out of control. His kids are, are, are mortally wounded on, on, the, on the battlefield. And Saul takes his own life and dies. And, and what does it say that David does? He mourns. He weeps. Because um, he's not a mad king. He's a submitted king. David, once a shepherd boy, the eighth son of Jesse, as many as 30 years after being anointed by Samuel, as the next king of Israel, now is recognized as the, the king of Israel. Thirty years of submission to God, refusing to, to circumvent God's authority. David now is prepared to accept the authority and lead, and lead well he does. He takes these ragtag tribes of Israel, and he turns them into the greatest nation. Uh, greatest nation of, of its time. He leads epic battles. He, he expands the territory. He cares for his people well. He forgives his past enemy. He brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And he is revered and loved by many. Fast forward now, about 20 years. Jerusalem is the epicenter of spiritual and political power. And David is now an older king. And suddenly, he's sitting in town one day, and, and, and the mighty men, 50 or so men, are rushing forward through the town with a chariot behind it. And you would think that then that's King David coming, because that's how a king would travel in and out of Jerusalem with men out in front of him and a, and a chariot behind him. But it's not. 
Um, in that chariot is David's young son, Absalom. It says his hair is flowing behind him. He's considered to be the most handsome man alive. Handsome indeed, but he is dangerously ambitious. He's next in line for the throne, but Absalom didn't want to wait his turn. He Absalom no longer wanted to submit to his father, God's anointed king over Israel. And for four years, Absalom, he positioned himself at the city gates. And as people came with their problems, it says he listened. He gave them innocent advice. He empathized and sympathized with them. If they bowed down before Absalom and told him his problems, Absalom would say, oh, I wish I could help you with that because you, you need justice. But I'm not the king. If I was the king, I would help you. And he did that day after day, year after year. Um, He would say things like, your claim is valid, but I wish I could help you. But I can't, because I'm not the king. If I was the king, I would help you. And after four years of basically undermining and submissive, basically aggressiveness, Absalom says, stole the hearts of the people of Israel. And next, he deceived David. He asked for permission to go to Hebron. And there he stepped out of the shadows of his conspiracy. And he named himself king over Israel. And he rallied the troops to aggressively turn against his father, David. And without God's blessing or anointing, he rallied the men of Israel against David. And just, you know, again, a little quick pause. Don't we all have a little bit of Absalom? in ourselves sometimes. We don't like to wait our turn for authority, right? Maybe some of you have used even this subversive submission in a way, this passive sort of aggressive tactic to undermine your leader or to land a promotion um, to a place of leadership or authority. And if you've done that, can I just offer you a little word of warning? You will spend the rest of your time in that role looking over your shoulder and wondering who it is that might be coming after you or betraying you or playing the same game you did. See, throwing spears is no way to gain authority and neither is a calculated coup. So what did David do? As Absalom rallied the troops of Israel against them, one might think that what David would do is fortify himself in Jerusalem, right? Rally his troops, bring the Ark of the Covenant and place it before him, right? But he didn't. Nope. He gathered those closest to him. He left the Ark of the Covenant behind and he quietly exited Jerusalem. And I will submit, um, basically, he said, to God's authority. He basically leaves and says, God brings me back king? Okay. If he doesn't, then okay. It says that many wept as David, exhausted, sort of walked himself out of town. But many of Saul's sort of loyalists from back in those days pelted him with stones and insulted this king as he left. Absalom grabbed up his best man. They tracked David down to finish him. David's mighty men formed a line and confronted Absalom's men. David's men completely outnumbered, but... Um, With God on their side, they crush Absalom's rebellion. Absalom's fleeing, his flowing, beautiful hair gets caught up in this tree, and he's basically dangling there. And Joab, who's one of David's sort of historic hatchet men, goes back and finishes Absalom off. And what does David do when he hears the death of his son? He cries. He mourns. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, would I have died instead of you? Another amazing thing there, he seeks no revenge at those who hurled insults at him, and he pardons all of them that turned against him. 
In Gene Edwards' book, This Tale of Three Kings, he says he tells the story much more poetically than I did. It's the story of these three kings, but it has one underlining um, theme, submission. Submission to authority. No matter how mad King Saul um, became, David submitted to God's authority, right? His anointed leader. He refused to throw spears or kill an innocent king. When Absalom attempted to seize his throne, David um, submitted again to God's authority. He did not seize control or leverage his power. Here's sort of where I'm going to land. Submission, it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, as tough as this concept of submission is, um, it's it's just we rail, we we just sort of rail against it. I'm convinced that if we can learn to embrace um, submission to authority, it, it will release you to, to so much peace and and freedom. Um, here are two simple sort of motivational factors for submission: one, better before bigger. If you can submit to the authority that's been placed over you or God's authority, um, you will indeed get better. And then as a result, um, you'll be um, able to lead something larger at some point later. The best thing that ever happened to me in leadership is that, you know, Northway was a founding pastor. Pastor Jay's um, story is epic. He started a church that now is in five locations and reaches about 6,000 people. He started it in a basement with a small group. Okay? Led that for 30-some plus years. How do you like to be the guy that has to come in after that? Okay? But one of the best things that ever happened to me is I was on staff at Northway for a long time, but for the three years, I sat directly under Jay Passivan. I was the executive pastor. And if you know Jay, I personally love, love this man. So, um, man, love this man. But, but he's an entrepreneurial wild man. Like, there is an idea that Jay doesn't want to try. So for three years, you know, Jay would go away for a month on a sabbatical. He'd come back with an idea, like, we're going to do this. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not what we were doing yesterday, but now we're going to do that. So I I would submit continually, even if I didn't agree. um, Submit continually. It was the best thing that set me up um, for this role. What was that when the process took place and this national search and internal search took place um, and they chose me... those years of submission to that authority is what really allowed me to do something um, bigger in the future. And secondly, I think this story shows that you need order before blessing, right? Um, David spent a lot of time putting things in priority, that, that what was important to himself, to him. He built his character, um, his ways, his passion under the authority of God. Um, you know, just, just quickly, like right after, a thousand years after this story, Jesus comes along. And, and in the upper room, Jesus has been talking with his disciples for years uh, about how he was going to be killed. And, and, and they, they look at him now. Nah. And so on this night before, as he was about to be betrayed, um, it says he took off his robe and he wrapped a servant's towel around him. And he washed his disciples' feet. But don't miss that. He took off his robe. Remember what I said about a robe? This robe that Jesus had, it would have probably had the stitching that he was from the line of David, which is where the Messiah was to come. It would would have showed him as a rabbi and a teacher. 
It would have been a beautiful robe. It was the same robe that like a woman just touched the fringe of it and she was healed from a disease that she had for 12 years. This was the robe that like he calmed storms. This is the robe that he did his teaching from. He took it off and laid it down. His earthly identity. And he put a servant's towel around him and he washed his disciples. He submitted. Right? And then in the greatest act of submission, he goes to a cross for us. Why? Because he knows we will always want to do what's right in our own eyes. And because of that, we'll be eternally and forever separated from God in this incredible, generous, submissive moment. He dies on a cross um, for us. You know, submission, it's, it's not sexy, right? It doesn't make good slogans or, or leadership quotes, you know. Uh, and, and just so that I that you hear me, I'm not saying be submitted to your boss if there's something immoral or illegal going on. Um, I'm not talking about that. That's when you need to step out um, from under that authority. But just because you don't necessarily maybe agree, because you think the man has gone off the rails, or if the woman is being completely unfair, doesn't mean you should throw spears or, or, or create some kind of little passive-aggressive coup. You should submit to to, to that authority. I've watched so many young leaders across this city bounce from one place to another, disparaging their past leaders along the way, thinking that they've got it all figured out. And this cycle, I've just seen, they're just scattered along the roadsides of of this town. Um, You know, my dad's not necessarily a strong Christian man. uh, my parents were divorced when I was a, when I was a young guy. My dad went on to marry four additional times and divorced four additional times. But he was successful in the business world. And three things that um, he always said to me that I learned. He said, when you, when you take a role, um, work harder than everybody else, show up every single day, and keep your mouth shut. Um, and, and that has helped me a lot. Um, I have learned somehow, I just think the grace of God, um, I have learned really early in my leadership um, life to submit to authority, whether I agree or disagree. I'm just not a spear thrower. Um, and I'm not going to cause some kind of little passive, uh, aggressive coups. Um, at, at our church, at, at the organization that I lead, I stamp those things out as quickly as I can. If you come to me and you're going to whine about your boss, or you're, you know, man, you're going to get chopped down super, super fast. It's just not going to happen. Um, and I'm just not going to allow any spear throwing. And I really believe um, that, that God, He blesses that. Um, he blesses that type of submission. So, um, if I have um, a few things that I always talk to emerging leaders about, this is one. I talk to leaders constantly about if, you know, I know there's lots of great talks out there on courage and perseverance and all those things, and those are awesome. But I tend to sort of just go towards submission. Um, I just think it's so important to learn and grasp early. 
So we're going to do some Q&A, but seriously, I saw some people taking notes. If you missed something, um, my email is scotts at northway.org, or you can go on the website and just click on me. Um, send me an email. I will send you this talk um, word for word in its entirety, and then I can also tag you all the scriptures so that you can um, you can have them and then use that any place that you want to. So, Doug, you're gonna, we're going to sit down like a little fireside chat over here now. And hey, give it up for Scott. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to that talk with Scott. I hope that you enjoyed it. Uh, for ways to connect with Scott and what he's doing with Northway, you can go to the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 87 and get everything you need there. I've interviewed Scott previously on the podcast. We'll also be po- posting another episode of the question and answer session from the breakfast that you can listen to as well. Uh, and everything you need will be right there on the show notes. So make sure you connect with that. And for those of you who are in the Pittsburgh area and saying, hey, I, wanna, I would love to come to a breakfast, Our next breakfast is March 19th, 2016, and our speaker will be Patty Beard. Patty's the VP of Leadership Development at Dick's Sporting Goods. I've interviewed her for the podcast before. She's phenomenal, and so I really hope that you'll come and and hear her. You can get all the information you need at l3leadership.org, and we hope to see you at the breakfast. Yeah, and also on our website, you can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and it really helps just to spread the word. Uh, So we appreciate all of our listeners. And lastly, if you want to stay in touch with us and on all the things we're doing here at L3 Leadership, uh, you can sign up for our email list on our website, l3leadership.org. And you can also get a free copy of Doug's ebook that he published recently called Making the Most of Mentoring. It's really awesome. Woohoo! <laughs> Check it out. And as always, we like to end with a leadership quote. And my hero, John Maxwell, says this all the time. He says, everything rises and falls on leadership. And that's exactly why we bring you this podcast, The Breakfast, because we want you to become a better leader. Because if you become a better leader, everything around you will become better and everyone around you will become better. So thanks for listening. To the podcast, being a part of L3 Leadership, Laura and I appreciate you so much. Thanks so much. We'll see you next episode.